I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Tortoise. I'm going to read you a line from the UK's parliamentary website. It reads, The House of Lords is the second chamber of the UK Parliament. It plays a crucial role in examining bills, questioning government action and investigating public policy. So that's how it describes the UK Parliament's upper chamber. It's the stopgap, the oversight. Where the House of Commons is elected, the House of Lords is appointed. And that's where the problems can come in. For years now, the question of reforming the House of Lords has been asked by all parties because there's been a pattern developing, a pattern of former prime ministers appointing people to the chamber who have made substantial political donations to their parties. And then there's this newer pattern of people being rewarded with a seat in the House of Lords for their political loyalty. And the reason that I'm telling you this Well, because soon, Boris Johnson, who resigned as Prime Minister over, among other things, breaking the law, will get to draw up a list of people who he wants to get a seat in the House of Lords. It's called a Resignations Honours List. And it's a privilege that's granted to all outgoing Prime Ministers. And now it's a privilege granted to a man who, at the least, likes to bend the rules to his liking, and at the most, breaks them entirely. And for the past few weeks, our political editor, Kat Nealon, has been trying to piece together the mosaic of Johnson's relationship with the House of Lords to better understand how his list is being drawn up and what it says about our parliament and our democracy. This week on the slow newscast from Tortoise, The Dishonours List, the story of a system on the brink. I'll hand over to Kat. Corruption. It's a word politicians and journalists in this country have tended to be comfortable throwing around quite freely, but not willy-nilly. That's noticeable, I think. A politician could accuse Nigeria of being corrupt, or Russia, or China, or a hundred other countries, and probably not even be challenged for the evidence. But if you ask them to get the mirror out and look for signs of corruption here in the UK, the first reaction often tends to be a sort of moral superiority. It almost smacks of the days of empire. Yes, there might be a little problem here and there with standard slipping, but we're not as bad as that other lot. We're still a beacon of propriety. And if you ask for specifics, where is there corruption in British politics, say, you're most likely to draw a blank. 
For a journalist, there aren't many things more tantalizing than other people's determination not to talk about something seriously. So I set about asking myself that question. Is there something which it's fair to describe as corruption in our politics? As it happens, Boris Johnson's resignation honours list is about to be published. It'll create a whole bunch of new members of the House of Lords. So I landed on the place where patronage is most obviously on parade, the honours system. And I set myself three questions. If it's corrupt, has it always been that way? It's not a great excuse, but it's worth knowing. Or does Boris Johnson's resignation honours list mark a change? Is he about to reward a different set of political favours with a seat in the Lords? So we have to look at the whole honour system again through fresh eyes. And lastly, and maybe most importantly, if the honour system is corrupt, can it last? Or might we look back on Boris Johnson's list from beyond the political grave and think, that's when we knew it was all over? Are you saying that the list, the resignation list, was appalling because it included the wrong kind of people to be in a socialist prime minister's uh, resignation list, or because some of the knighthoods and peerages appeared to be given, uh, in your view, for reasons which disturbed you? In the 1970s, Harold Wilson caused outrage by conferring peerages on friends and family. It became known as the Lavender List. Do you think the honours scrutiny system is adequate? No. Would you like to see an inquiry into this last list or other lists? No, but if you read the honours chapter in its uh, entirety, you will see that what I'm arguing is that the question of the disbursement of patronage through the honours list should be taken away from the Prime Minister altogether. Questions have been raised about how other Prime Ministers have used the Lords too. Breaking news Blair's government was caught in a scandal involving donations and peerages. In the cash for honours inquiry, police have been conducting a lengthy investigation into whether wealthy businessmen were offered peerages in return for donations to the Labour Party. While Cameron was accused of cronyism in his honours list. The effect of all these flare-ups has been to play a part, over time, in slowly eroding the institution of the Lords. It's become a place for Prime Ministers to put friends, confidants, donors. And then, in 2021 came a story which seemed to make the relationship between political cronyism and a seat in the Lords even clearer, and not in a good way. A pattern had emerged. Andrew Fraser donated a little more than £3 million to the Conservatives before being made Lord Fraser. James Lupton donated £2.95 million before taking his seat as Lord Lupton, and then another £60,000 after his maiden speech. Michael Spencer donated about £5 million before being made Lord Spencer. And Michael Farmer donated around £7 million before being made Lord Farmer. All men who had donated millions to the Conservative Party. All men who were former treasurers or co-treasurers of the Conservative Party. The Sunday Times reported that 15 of the last 16 Conservative Party treasurers had been offered a seat in the upper chamber after donating more than £3 million to the party. In other words, a seat for life, deciding UK legislation, seemed to come at the cost of just £3 million. That story caused a minor splash. The government defended its record a few weeks later. Uh, the idea that um, successful business people and philanthropists who contribute to political causes should be disqualified uh, from sitting in the legislature, it's, it's nonsense. There is no link between party donations and nominations to sit in the House of Lords. Despite the laughs, that wasn't meant to be a punchline to a political joke. It shows what we have become accustomed to in our politics, what we have shown we are willing to accept. 
It's also what those in the Lords have become accustomed to, as Lib Dem peer Dick Newby told me. Yes, some people undoubtedly get peerages because they uh, buy them, in effect. But it's slightly less than automatic thing. I mean, no doubt people say, unless you give me a peerage, I'm not going to give you the money. If that money is then accepted, the party's committed an offence. But it's not to say it doesn't happen. I mean, it's a bit more subtle than that. If somebody, I suspect if somebody goes to a party and says that, they say, well, we don't do that. Give us the money anyway. Let's see what happens. A £3 million donation in return for a seat for life in the upper chamber of parliament. Is that correct? Is it right? It's certainly what has so far been accepted as being right. But Boris Johnson, as he has shown in so many other regards, likes to push what's acceptable. In the summer of 2020, he appointed 36 peers to the Lords, mostly Brexiteers. He'd got frustrated with the Lords delaying Brexit bills. It was, he said, to redress the balance, to reflect the will of the nation. That list included his brother and non-Brexiteer, Joe Johnson. And when you drill down to the individuals, the picture looks more jumbled. My colleague, Paul Karana Galizia, has previously reported on how Boris Johnson ignored advice from two different departments relating to appointing two lords, Lord Lebedev of Siberia, the son of a former KGB officer and owner of the Evening Standard newspaper, and Lord Crudus of Shoreditch, a former Conservative Party treasurer. One of the objections to Lord Crudus related to his involvement in a 2012 Cash for Access scandal after footage emerged of him apparently offering access to the then Prime Minister David Cameron and Chancellor George Osborne for up to £250,000. As a result, the House of Lords Advisory Committee, HOLAC, advised against appointing Peter Crudus to the House of Lords. Boris Johnson ignored it. Crudus made his biggest donation to the Conservatives, half a million pounds, just three days after he entered the House of Lords in February 2020. Lord Crudus has strongly denied any wrongdoing, including to Paul. Well, I mean, I can understand why people have made something out of that. But hang on a minute. I'm already in the Lords. Why do I need to donate? You know, I mean, if I was paying to get into the House of Lords, and by the way, you can't do that. That's corruption. That's criminality. And... You know, there's no evidence of that because it didn't exist. The fact of the matter is I'd committed to give the Conservative Party, you know, in my own mind, sums of money over a period of time. And I suppose I should have thought about it a bit more. But, I mean, you've got to remember going into the Lords as well was when COVID was locked down. It was just like I turned up, I swore on the Bible and then I came home. You know, there was no sort of ceremony or anything like that. There was nobody in the chamber. Everything was yes. remote. Voting was remote. So it didn't even yes. know, I didn't even feel like I was in the Lords, to be honest. Still, with Boris Johnson, it's not just about the money. Lord Lebedev hasn't made any official donations to the Conservative Party or to Boris Johnson. They're friends. Johnson attended many of Lord Lebedev's raucous parties in London and Umbria, and Lord Lebedev's Evening Standard newspaper ceaselessly promoted Johnson's work as London mayor. Whatever the reason for Lord Lebedev's peerage, it was strong enough for Johnson to ignore official advice that elevating him to the Lords was a national security risk because of his closeness to his father and his father's KGB connections. Lord Lebedev was included on that list of 36 individuals recommended for peerages in the summer of 2020. Others who were enabled that summer were Boris Johnson's longtime advisor, Sir Eddie Lister, and Johnson's former boss at the Daily Telegraph, Charles Moore. 
It's a list that shows Boris Johnson starting to think differently about what qualities deserve the reward of a seat in the House of Lords. The dial seems to be shifting away from public service and in favour of personal loyalty. A sense exacerbated by what we think we know about the resignation honours list Boris Johnson is about to publish. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. repeat, Mr. Speaker, that I have been repeatedly assured since these allegations emerged that there was no party and that, and that no COVID rules were broken. And that is what... It's the 8th of December, 2021, almost two years after Boris Johnson swaggered to victory in the general election. He's at the dispatch box, signing away his premiership. That I've been repeatedly assured... Denying that anybody in Downing Street ever broke lockdown rules. The decision to deny was a strategy formed in part by his then chief of staff, Dan Rosenfield, the man who had replaced Dominic Cummings a year earlier. Just two months later, Rosenfield was out. Manira Mirza, Dan Rosenfeld, Martin Reynolds, Jack Doyle. Four names you may never have heard of, but four of the most powerful people in the country. Senior Downing Street aides who have all resigned tonight. His tenure was short-lived, and ended in disgrace, not dissimilar to that of his former boss. According to The Times, Dan Rosenfield was among senior officials to attend a lockdown Christmas quiz in December 2020, although Downing Street denied this. But it seems that neither his advice nor his alleged lockdown breaking hindered him. Just months after resigning, Boris Johnson doubled down. Last autumn, as rumours swirled about who would be on his resignation honours list, Dan Rosenfield's name cropped up. Remember, this is a man who was in his job for just over a year and who was advising the Prime Minister on parliamentary responses that are now under investigation. Within months, his name was being put forward to become a life peer and all that comes with it. Small perks, like the expenses and protections that being in the House of Lords confer, and big ones, like the right to have a say in the laws of the country. But that's not all. 
Some staff who had worked under Rosenfield were so outraged when they learned that he was in line for a peerage, they decided to make a complaint to the Cabinet Office, alleging bullying behaviour, primarily towards junior female colleagues. It was bad enough that his behaviour was tolerated, but being elevated was a step too far. During the 13 months or so that he was Boris Johnson's chief of staff, it was alleged that Dan Rosenfield had overseen a macho culture. He presided over a bullying culture, one in which junior officials were treated very badly, he would yell at people for not delivering his sandwich exactly when he wanted, and there were lesser things about the environment he created. Typically, women were removed from meetings with the PM, and it took some months to get a woman back in the room. It left some in tears, and supposedly resulted in the departure of several members of staff. So when we went to the cabinet office, I thought it was being taken seriously. They had interviews with us so we could lay out our concerns and provide information as to who we thought were treated badly but couldn't come forward at the time. We knew many people had said, I just can't. I know you're saying this could be addressed, but it's too difficult. And the cabinet office seemed to take it seriously, although they couldn't promise anything. I understand subsequently the view was more dismissive. At least four people complained to the Propriety and Ethics team, which sits within the Cabinet Office and acts as a kind of HR department. It also vets candidates for the Independent Lords Appointment Commission. The complainants didn't hear anything until a few weeks later. But instead of their complaint being taken forward, they discovered that Dan Rosenfield had been told their names. There had been calls between the Cabinet Office and Dan Rosenfield, sources told Tortoise. The people on those calls are thought to have been Cabinet Secretary Simon Case and Darren Tierney, head of the Propriety and Ethics team. One of the complainants told Tortoise they had since referred the matter to the Information Commissioner's Office, the ICO, because there is a risk of harm to the individual. Another noted it was a massive data breach that left her with an ominous, threatening feeling. A Cabinet Office spokesperson said, There is no evidence to suggest the government has acted improperly in handling this issue. The spokesman could not explain how the names had been passed on. Dan Rosenfield did not respond to questions about how he had learnt the individual's identities, but a friend told Tortoise the bullying allegations were completely untrue. The complainants believe this whole saga will have no bearing on Rosenfield's peerage because there are very few reasons the Lord's Appointments Commission can veto someone once they have been recommended. Unlike the Honours Vetting Committees, where they do consider suitability for an honour, HOLAC on political peerages and honours doesn't opine. You can also be blocked on tax grounds, but people can clear those up. It's quite a high bar. It doesn't inspire faith in the system at all that this can go ahead. Do I think this guy should get a peerage? No, I don't. It perpetuates a situation in which people are rewarded and things like bad behaviour, particularly towards juniors, is brushed aside. If this has not been looked at, despite people being aware of it, it can undermine the confidence in the system. Dan Rosenfield's potential appointment is inevitably a reflection on the way Boris Johnson perceives public service and responsibility. Here's the orthodox view from the dispatch box when the minister Nigel Adams spoke in November 2021. Peerages, as I've said, reflect uh, long-standing contributions uh, to to civic life and it also gives these people an opportunity to put something back and, and contribute to public life. But for many, Dan Rosenfield does not meet that bar. These moments just chip away at the lack of trust that we already have in our politics. It's a distortion of how things should work and a reward for people who haven't done anything in the national interest. The presumed contract between Dan and Boris that he won't say anything, won't upset the apple cart and return for a peerage, it's just not good enough. 
For a Prime Minister, the line between public service and service to the Prime Minister is always fuzzy. But Dan Rosenfield's value seems clearly tilted towards Boris Johnson rather than the wider public. It's a balance repeated throughout his resignation honours list. Take Nigel Adams, a Brexiteer Member of Parliament since 2010, who has only ever held a handful of junior ministerial positions in the past five years, and is now one of three sitting MPs braced for a promotion to the upper chamber. Others include Nadine Dorries, another Johnson loyalist and one-time culture secretary, and Alok Sharma, the former COP26 president, who also goes way back with Johnson. The inclusion of three sitting MPs in an honours list mid-term causes constitutional headaches. They cannot defer their peerage until the next election. That means it could result in three by-elections at a very challenging time for Rishi Sunak. However, MPs are at least a known quantity. They have held public roles and can point to a history of public service. That's not true of many others. We won't know for sure whose names are going to stay on Boris Johnson's list until the moment it's published. A few have done the hokey-cokey, in and out again, but a handful seem to have stuck. There's Ross Kempsell. He's in his early 30s, good friends with Carrie Johnson, and has only worked in Number 10 for a few months before Boris Johnson was forced out of office. Reports suggest he is in line for a peerage. Ben Gascoigne is hardly a household name, but he has worked for Boris Johnson for many years, including his time as Foreign Secretary. He, too, is rumoured to be on the list. And Charlotte Owen, who has been one of Boris Johnson's special advisers for less than 18 months when the list was drawn up, could become the youngest life peer in history. So little is known about her that she is described in various articles as thought to be in her late 20s. Charlotte Owen has flitted around Parliament, acting first as an intern for an MP in 2017, and then that same year for Boris Johnson, before working for two more MPs, and then back to Boris Johnson again. She only became a Downing Street aide in 2021. One source said her inclusion on the list was sticky, and one of the reasons the whole process had ground to a halt. Another noted that while he liked her personally, it was a big leap to give her a peerage for life. A third source said, It's textbook Boris Johnson to keep her on and keep pursuing it. He likes to turn systems on their head and they'll find it all quite amusing. If you're some of the other people on the list, she slightly overshadows how inappropriate you are because it's such a wacky idea that someone who's young and inexperienced, and by the way, is quite attractive, so you get all those comments, is on there. It's quite useful if you're, say, Ross Kempsell, who's equally inappropriate in my view. So how did she end up there? According to one MP, Nigel Adams drew up the list. Boris just signed it off. That's Boris. No idea of the detail and not interested. But, as one of my sources points out, to try and make sense of Boris Johnson's list is to overthink it. The truth is, he doesn't place much value in the gongs he is giving out. Instead, he cares for patronage and loyalty. The thing to bear in mind is that Boris isn't interested in these titles for himself. He thinks they're tacky. And he's embarrassed when people ask him for them. He's kind of amazed and revolted when people ask for peerages and knighthoods. He therefore just doesn't care about putting people's noses out of joint about it. When people are like, what kind of game is he playing? He isn't, because he doesn't care about precedent and respectability. Why would you give a shit about who goes into the House of Lords? As long as you pay off the debts, who cares? To put Charlotte Owen in, or Ross Kempsell, or Dan Rosenfield, It's hard to make the case they show Boris Johnson pushing for people he believes exemplify public service. But they do exemplify loyalty to Boris Johnson.
Then there are those who have helped in a very real way, like David Ross, the Carphone warehouse founder, and donor who helped arrange Boris Johnson's £15,000 must-eat holiday in 2019. Or Ben Elliott, party co-chairman and the man who played a central fixer role in Boris Johnson's finances. Both of these men are also said to be on the list. According to Daniel Bruce, chief executive of Transparency International, ennobling donors can be problematic. The reason why the link with political donations is problematic is this sort of sense that what expectations did all of these parties have at different points in time? And and are individuals who are going into the House of Lords, having made these very substantial donations to the party of government, going to, when it comes to their role, scrutinising legislation and playing that important constitutional function, are they going to be able to do that sufficiently dispassionately as they are obliged to do? Or are they actually bringing vested interests into the chamber beyond, obviously, their sort of... Running like a thread throughout Boris Johnson's honours list, as with so much about his premiership, is a particular attitude to our system. He is a man who cares much less than his predecessors for convention or doing what they would have considered honourable. The process for vetting the suitability of those who are on his list is not strong enough because, says one source, we have never had a prime minister before who gives so few fucks. How well are they scrutinising legislation? How are they using the peerage for their advantage personally? How are they representing us as a country? Because when you get a peerage, you become an ambassador for the UK. And then there's the old adage, a lord on the board. In short, the implication is you get to line your pockets. There is, arguably, no greater demonstration of Boris Johnson's use of the House of Lords, as opposed to having an interest in it as the upper chamber of the British Parliament, than the names who seem to have fallen off his list. That a degree of, of literacy, which I think the great British public doesn't necessarily have. Well, that's quite a pejorative <laughs> thing to say about the they great British public. They couldn't spell Pinocchio if, it, um, if they tried. I should have thought, Why would, have would you thought. say that? Stanley Johnson, who was accused of having broken his ex-wife's nose and of inappropriately touching a female MP and a female journalist, is widely thought to have been on the list. While there are some rumours that he might have been removed, others believe the former Prime Minister's father will still be honoured. If he does pursue this knighthood for his father, it puts the king in quite an uncomfortable position because it's quite unusual to decline. People often forget that it's a headache for everyone. The House of Lords, Rishi Sunak, and quite possibly a headache for the palace as well. According to The Telegraph, the list also includes long-time Tory donor Lubov Chernerkin, who has given the party around £2 million. She bid tens of thousands of pounds to play tennis with Boris Johnson. Schnurkin has been linked with the Conservatives for many years. She is a British citizen and her donations are legitimate. But as well as being a businesswoman and the largest female political donor in British history, Lubov Chnurkin is the ex-wife of Vladimir Chnurkin, a former deputy finance minister to the Russian president Vladimir Putin. Lubov Chnurkin has publicly condemned all Russian military aggression in Ukraine and urged for the strongest possible sanctions against Putin's regime and its enablers. Even so, her possible inclusion caused consternation in Westminster at a time when the UK, and Boris Johnson in particular, was backing Ukraine. With Boris Johnson's resignation honours list being trimmed back from more than 100 names to around 50, it is possible that Chernerkin has not made the final cut. And while there may be good reasons for some of the names to be dropped, others seem rather more petty. Michael Gove was in line to get a knighthood even after he was sacked by Boris Johnson for having urged him to stand down over the Chris Pincher affair. But, sources say, 
Gove has now been dropped for his role in having killed off Johnson's return in the second leadership contest last autumn. And he's not alone. A source told Tortoise that Gitto Harry, the short-lived director of communications who worked in Downing Street on secondment for just six months, had been downgraded to a CBE. Given some of the more uncomfortable claims that have been made about Boris Johnson's behaviour in his recent podcast, it's not impossible Gitto Harry will end up with nothing. Boris at the time declared himself epileptically bored with Covid. What people are getting now is not killing them, he thought. It's a matter of stupendous irrelevance. As long as we have a Indeed, one MP who served in Boris Johnson's government said the former Prime Minister had promised gongs to several colleagues and the slimmed-down reality would be a rude awakening. Those who are expecting knighthoods are said to include former Northern Ireland Minister Connor Burns, Energy Secretary Grant Shapps and Health Secretary Steve Barclay. But many who are expecting something will inevitably lose out. His honours list may end his leadership hopes for good. And I think the list will hurt Boris more than Rishi, as it will annoy people who feel he has lied to them. He has promised dozens of people stuff, but then some get it and some don't. They'll be angry and jealous. It's a problem of his own making. If people can be dropped this easily, it does raise questions about the thought process behind putting them on the list in the first place. If people are upgraded or downgraded based, as it seems, on the extent to which they are in Boris Johnson's good graces, it shows a former Prime Minister breaking with tradition. The criteria for being rewarded are much narrower. This may have been the story of Boris Johnson's honours list, but the truth is, he's not alone. His is the culmination of decades of diminishing respect for the upper chambers. And he's not the only former Prime Minister currently drawing up a list. Liz Truss, who was Prime Minister for just 49 days, has also got one. Admittedly, it's much smaller. Just four names are on it. A lord for roughly every 12 days she was in power. Mark Littlewood, the Director General of the Institute for Economic Affairs. John Moynihan, a businessman and trust donor. Matthew Elliott, Chief Executive of Vote Leave. And Ruth Porter, Truss's Deputy Chief of Staff. Sources told Tortoise that Liz Truss's list has been approved and is being held back by Boris Johnson's because Rishi will see both lists as a bad news day, so they will happen at the same time. Which brings us back to the problem repeatedly presented by Boris Johnson's attitude to public life. Convention dictates that the Prime Minister of the day waves through his or her predecessor's list. In Rishi Sunak's case, he has two lists to rubber stamp. He also has a smouldering civil war in his party. And he probably has some respect for upholding conventions. In short, no one is expecting him to go against the grain. Boris Johnson has no such respect for convention. Here's Dick Newby again. If you don't have a written constitution, it's very often impossible to say that a rule's been broken because there is no rule. But everyone says, well, no one's ever done that, and that's not what it's supposed to work. And Boris, all the way through, pushed those conventions. It puts the uh, constitution more generally under strain if you do that, because it is a constitution that requires people to follow conventions, or else it breaks down. Um, so he was pushing things... Uh, to make his life easier. And when, when you know, the civil service must have said to him in that case, and with these periods, well, you know, we don't, it's not really the way the system's going to work. It's, you know, borderline dodgy. That wouldn't worry him at all. We put the various points in this podcast to Boris Johnson's spokesman, but he didn't respond to requests for comment. We started this podcast by setting out three questions. Is the system corrupt? 
does Boris Johnson's resignation honours list mark a change, or has it always been that way? And if the honours system is corrupt, can it last? It seems clear that the dial is shifting away from public service and towards personal loyalty. The evidence is increasingly there for all to see, and the notion of corruption has entered the conversation. It might not be there yet, not in the criminal sense, but the idea that the system could be corrupt no longer feels far-fetched, as Daniel Bruce points out. It's very much our view that it, it the system at the minute is still organised in such a way that it offers such a level of patronage that therefore it invites corruption. Do you think that it is corrupt, then, if it invites corruption? Well, is that corruption taking place? The, the problem is this is very difficult to prove. There are a few things that stand out from the Johnson administration in particular and the relationship with the House of Lords. The Sunday Times did an investigation up to September 2021 and they found that all donors to the Conservative Party who had given the magic £3 million or above had gone on to receive a, a nomination to the House of Lords. And so that's quite striking and again, we know that actually if there was a, a written agreement <laughs> that, that that funding would lead to a place in the House of Lords, that that's against the law. We assume that there isn't and that, as I said, it's a catalogue of, of coincidence. The other thing which was unique in terms of the Johnson administration is that he became the first Prime Minister to overrule the House of Lords Appointments Commission when it advised against appointing Peter Crudders to the House of Lords and he went on to receive his peerage, also a donor who had at that point just passed the £3 million mark again. So this is, a again, as I said, it's a system of patronage that is vulnerable to corruption. Proving actual corruption or actual criminal um, activity is, is on an altogether different plane. And that's where the second of those questions gets its answer. Does Boris Johnson's resignation honours list mark a change? It's hard to avoid an answer other than yes. For all the scandals that have gone on before, no other Prime Minister has ignored official security advice. No other Prime Minister has overruled the House of Lords Appointment Commission. And now that same Prime Minister, who was ousted in disgrace, is filling a list, in part or large part, we wait to see, with friends and those who have been ultra-loyal to him. And that is where the final question comes in. It feels now, more than ever, that the system is closer to breaking point. But then, perhaps not for the first time, the British ability to look the other way should not be underestimated. This episode was reported by me, Kat Nealon, produced by Matt Russell and with sound design by Hannah Varrell. The editor was Kerry Thomas. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. We're supposed to learn from our own mistakes, but other people's errors can be instructive too. From efforts to control the weather that went disastrously awry, to the untimely death of the Segway boss, history is a treasure trove of mishaps and meltdowns that can teach us all. I'm Tim Harford, host of Cautionary Tales, the podcast that mines the greatest fiascos of the past for their most valuable lessons. Listen to Cautionary Tales wherever you get your podcasts.